Hey y'all, welcome back to the Chickasha Chamber Chatter Podcast. This is Cassandra Ursland, President and CEO of the Chickasha Chamber of Commerce and your host for today's podcast. Today we're going to sit down and chat with the Executive Director of ICANN, Intervention and Crisis Advocacy Network. I do want to warn our listeners that there may be a few triggers in this episode, we do talk about domestic violence and rape, but we focus more on the services and not necessarily the acts. But if this is something that may trigger you, you may want to skip this episode. With that being said, I am so excited for you all to hear all of the services that ICANN provides here in Grady County for our residents. We would like to thank our sponsors, Hillary Communication and First National Bank and Trust Company for allowing us to provide this content to our listeners. Without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. Good morning, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us today. You bet. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Of course. So tell us just a little bit about yourself and what you do here in Chickasha. Okay. Well, um, I started in March as the Director of Intervention and Crisis Advocacy Network. Uh, It's ICANN for for short. And uh, we are the um, Domestic Violence Sexual Assault Agency for Grady County. And um, a lot of folks still remember it as the Women's Service and Resource Center where they call it the shelter. But uh, but yeah, I started a march there at ICANN. Okay, great. Well, so tell me a little bit about, you mentioned it used to be called the Women's, the Women's Resource Center, and then now it transitioned over to ICANN. Why? Like, what was the reasoning for that? Great question. So um, actually, this is our 40th year of service in Grady County. You know, just a few weeks ago, we had the Together We Heal Walk. Um, actually, it was on October 2nd, the day where all the activities happened downtown. This is the fifth walk. We had over 50 participants from USAO. Um, we had the whole men's basketball team and the women's basketball team. So it was great. Um, they were the largest participant uh, by far of any business or organization that had walkers out with us. But the reason I say that is because Um, In 1981, the concept of a rape crisis center uh, came from a women's study group at USAO. And and it was in actually 1980. Um, They just recognized the need for rape victims to have services and support. And in 81, the concept was incorporated as the Women's Service Center of Chickasha. And so... There's been two name changes as time progressed. The first was um, initially, uh, you know, they they realized as the women's as the women's service center of Chickasha, they realized their services were, you know, broad and in helping men, helping children. So that's the initial change that they had, um, and changed it from at that point to the women's service and family resource center. But then in 2000 and 15, I believe, um, the board said, let's just really, um, let's really address all of our programs, all of our services, encompass everything that we do and really help brand um, our organization so people know what we do. And so that's when they determined they wanted to go with Intervention Crisis and Advocacy Network. And uh, I can for short, obviously that's a great concept for any victim of domestic violence or sexual assault to know I can oh yeah get I away like that. from uh, from this 
this situation. Um, so that's that's where the the name transitioned and why. All right, I really like that. I've never I've just called it ICANN. I've yeah, never exactly. even thought twice about it. Yeah, so that's a exactly. really a really good way to um, to yeah. think about it. So I know this, and you know this, but our listeners don't know this. Mm-hmm. My birth mom actually worked at Women's Resource Center. So I grew up there going in and out of her office all the time. And at that time, I know that the Chickasha area didn't really give it a lot of support. It wasn't something that people contributed to or wanted to volunteer at because there was such a stigma around it. Is uh, that Absolutely. And you're right. This whole movement, honestly, um, Cassandra, really... Uh, statewide, nationwide, it was really birthed in the 80s, this concept of rape crisis centers. And so really in historical sense, it's somewhat relatively new. Um, and it's, it, yeah, it, there's a stigma with it. It's just tough to think about. It's like, um, you know, we have organizations that in the past have wanted to move away or move away from discussing this concept or this topic and and, uh, and you're right it's just tough it's tough to 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 realize that one in four women and one in seven men are going to be victims of domestic violence at some point and you know I think our society kind of um, takes the approach of um, that's something that's private and needs to be dealt with um, privately um, but I think we've come a long way in, in our culture um, since the 80s when, you know, ICANN and the Women's Resource Center was developed and birthed, we've come a long way. Now we have at least 27 agencies in the state of Oklahoma that they are certified through the Attorney General's office, as we are, to provide services to victims of domestic violence. And of course, this month is, um, October is Domestic, domestic Violence Awareness Month. And you see it over social media all over. So you're right. There was a time where it was a stigma, but I think just as we've become more educated about it and we've seen the result of services to, to victims of domestic violence, that it's become more embraced because we see the success stories. And I can see that too, as you said. I mean, I... I couldn't imagine back in the 80s. I mean, I was young, right? But like thinking about that for there to be something posted um, about that. And now we have social media and it's just become another one of the organizations that we support and that we want to give resources. Absolutely. And, you know, Cassandra, I can tell you I've worked in 30 years in nonprofits working with, um, you know, at risk kids, teens, um, families um, and uh, child abuse victims and and so I have to tell you that in a lot of the nonprofits that I have been at, um, several of them were mid-level or smaller level nonprofits. Um, and I see the support specifically in Grady County. I haven't, honestly, I haven't seen the type of contribution support that we get for ICANN, specifically in Grady County. Um, when I think of other nonprofits that I've been a part of, um, this there's there's now people there's a list of people in in Grady County who they just make ongoing contributions, mm-hmm. um, which you know it's not because of a mailer, it's not because of a fundraising event, it's not because of a theme month, they're just con- contributing, and so I think over the years um, it has just uh, touched a lot of folks' lives and. Um, and now, you know, we have people who just routinely contribute because they want to support the cause. 
Good for you, Grady County. Absolutely. Good for you. Absolutely. Okay, so so tell me about that. What do the funds go to, and why is it so important for people in our community to support what ICANN does? Absolutely. Well, you know, um, we we provide services in Grady County. We also, since 1986, provide services in Canadian County. Um, and, uh, you know, um, there, the services that we provide, um, are pretty encompassing. Um, every year we have ballpark 180 to 200 walk-in victims that we work with in Grady County. And that's by far not, that's not the scope of the problem. Um, one of the things we're actually trying to work right now with the DA's office and with the courthouse and is there's victims that come in to the courthouse to file for a victim's protective order, a BPO, and they'll get a brochure, um, most likely from I- for ICANN. But, you know, when they're in that point, um, a lot of times once they've gone through the process of trying to go through the paperwork and go through the court system, it's just tough and they're like done. In, but there's services that I can provide that would be so beneficial for them. So we're really looking to see how we can make that point of contact within, within, with each individual that comes in um, to, to request a victim's protective order. So, you know, on average, like I said, 180 to 200 victims that we service through the house here in, in Chickasha. And then also we'll have a, on our crisis line, we have a 24-hour um, confidential crisis line and um, every year we'll have um, around 200 to 250 crisis line calls for Grady County and so unfortunately a lot of our funding is federal funding because of issues with legislation and and that type of thing there's been cuts in funding nationwide every agency that serves victims of domestic violence are being affected by it and so, you know, the contributions that we receive help offset that loss that we see. Actually, one funding source that we've had for years um, was cut by 30% this year. Oh, wow. And so, um, but like I said, you know, Grady County has always stepped up to the plate. And um, so, you know, the services that we provide, we have the crisis line. Somebody's going to be there to answer, to respond. So if I called the crisis line and I talked to somebody, what would your... And I, yeah. I say typical, and I know that each case is completely different, but if there is a typical call, what is a typical call that comes into the Well, crisis? you know, a lot of times the way we're going to be contacted is because a law enforcement officer has responded to a domestic violence call, you know, and it may be in the middle of the night. And so when that officer, no matter what's, what city municipality it is in here in Grady County, when they respond and they get on scene, they do what's called a lethality assessment protocol. So they're, they're in state statute. So every law enforcement officer, when they respond to a domestic violence call, they've got to go through this process. And, you know, it's a tough process, obviously, to go through. One of the things that, that I, I've seen is that when victims ask these questions that these police officers and law enforcement officers ask, if it hasn't escalated to the point that it can, where their life is in danger. As these questions are asked, the victim, it triggers something in their mind. And, and they realize how much, 
how much really they are in danger. But that law enforcement asks those questions. And basically, if there's a certain number of responses that are given that are confirmative to the questions, then by state statute, they're required to call the local domestic violence agency. And so that's where a lot of the calls will come from. Somebody's law, law enforcement's on the scene um, and they have given the protocol and this victim is in some serious threat. So they'll reach out to the agency. Now, of course, the victim is not required to accept services. It's ultimately the victim's decision. And unfortunately, what we, the statistics say that it takes up to seven to nine times on average for there to be a domestic violence incident before the person will leave. And so most of the time, that's where the call is coming from. Law enforcement calls our crisis line and says, I'm, I have a victim of domestic violence um, and I'm going to provide the, the uh, information about the services. And then at that point, they'll, they'll ask the victim, would you like to speak to an advocate? And it's up to them, but it helps for that question to be asked mm -hmm. because if the question wasn't asked, they may not reach out and they may not know where to reach out. So a lot of the calls on the crisis line comes from there. And so at that point, if that person decides to talk to our advocate, then we're going to safety plan with that victim. Um, we're going to determine what needs to happen and we will meet them anywhere to get them into a safe place if we need to, um, you know, put up in safe emergency housing. Um, and so, and from that point, we continue down the process and the journey with them of helping them to deal with the issues that, that they're facing at home. Yeah, I mean, just thinking about that and hearing you tell that story and just like imagining what that would be like. A police officer comes to your house because there's been some type of domestic something mm -hmm. um, and being scared and not knowing who to call. And so it's really interesting that you say that, that there's somebody on the other end of the phone who just says, you're not alone. You're, yeah. We're here for you and we want to help you. So that's huge. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of times if that victim doesn't take advantage of the services at the scene, Mm -hmm. they're going to call us the next day. And that's what we're there for. You know, really, once again, when we talk about safety planning, when we talk about providing crisis intervention, you know, our advocates are so well-versed and so well-trained. Um, it really helps to think through your situation in a way that you probably have never thought your situation through before. And it makes things trigger in your mind and your thoughts. It's a really helpful process to go through to think about, okay, this is my plan to leave in the future. I need to think about this and this and this, and I need to have these things in place and I need to have a to-go kit or whatever those steps may be. It really brings it to the forefront. Okay. So tell me this, like I've had an emergency, the police have come, I've spoken to, um, to the call center. You've got me emergency housing. I wake up the next day. What then? We're going to be there the next morning at wherever you're at, okay. emergency housing. And then we're going to just start to staff the situation and say, okay, we will provide um, transportation to a safe place. Maybe they have a family member, maybe they have a relative, uh, a friend where they can go. Obviously, we're going to be involved with law enforcement. So law enforcement is going to be meeting with them and doing a uh, you know, doing a report and determining what can happen on the legal side and the law enforcement side with the situation. And so if they have somewhere they can go, we're going to talk through that and we're going to, we're going to take them there. Um, there's shelters throughout Oklahoma. There's not one specifically, you know, like a certified domestic violence shelter in Grady County. 
Um, but there is in Lawton and in Norman and, you know, Oklahoma City, a lot of times in Enid, a lot of times um, there's limited space, but um, we're going to get them wherever is best for them. And then we're going to continue to walk through the process with them. We have a legal aid available for victims so that they can work with legal aid to determine what they can do in court. We will take them to the courthouse and then we'll help them fill out the victim's protective order. We'll be with them when it goes to, to a hearing with the judge and we will get them to a shelter anywhere in Oklahoma. We just have to take those steps to determine on the case by case of what's going to help them to be safe, to get to safety and work in conjunction with legal aid, law enforcement, the courthouse, the DA's office um, to help address and meet the needs that are that are needed to be met in the situation. So if I'm hearing you right, basically what you guys do is you do all of it. You help them with every aspect from the emergency shelter to, you know, making sure that they have clothes and food and Absolutely. all of that. And then also once they get into the legal part, that's really kind of where your expertise comes into because they don't, they don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. So with our legal aid, that's a great resource for for uh, folks. And like I said, the advocate um, will be there with them in court and stand right with them to support them. And so with that, and this is just me assuming again, the little knowledge that I have from when I was a child, it doesn't have to be an emergency situation. If they had had an issue, but then they left and it's, you know, three to four weeks later and they come in and they say, I have this issue, I need help with the legal services. Is that something that you'll provide even if they don't call in on an emergency situation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and one element that we're, that I've, that we've missed here that I want to reference is at Grady Memorial Hospital, we have what's called a SANE room. SANE stands for sexual assault nurse examination. So if there's a sexual assault, we have nurses that are trained um, and certified to perform the sexual assault nurse examination. You may refer to it in, you know, as a rape kit, but um, but we have a room that Grady Memorial has has offered for us. We we have have it stocked with supplies, um, clothing, those types of things that are needed, and um, our same nurse will um, will meet at the hospital, whatever time it is day or night, weekend, weeknight, and our advocate will be there with them. They'll go through that process. And then that kit is, that examination kit then is given to the right jurisdiction for law enforcement to begin the process. And so our advocates right there with them, whatever they need, if they want us to be in there with them, um, whatever we can do to help support them, um, we do that. So that's, that's another piece that's really critical, obviously, and crucial to help with victims. It absolutely is. So we talk about all these services and you talk about, you know, going into the ER and all of this, but how much does it cost somebody if they call you? You know, ICANN provides free and confidential services to individuals who've experienced all forms of domestic violence, sexual assault, stalking, dating violence. Um, and so uh, those are accessible um, and, and confidential and free for any individual that's experienced any form of domestic violence or assault, sexual assault. One of the things that I want to touch on and make sure that we kind of talk about is at the beginning of this, you mentioned, I believe it's one in seven men mm -hmm. are victims as well. And I think that that's 
a staff that's really important because even talking about back in the 80s when it was referred to as the Women's Service Center, I, right. I think that that is how people see it, is that, well, women are the ones who get beat up on and they're the ones who need the help. That is not the case at all. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. One in seven men. One in four women, one in seven men. Now, one of the things, obviously, that that I think we still deal with in our society is men don't want to um, get services. Mm -hmm. There's more of a stigma, per se. Now, um, but you're right. Um, it's not just a problem for women. It can be a problem for, for men as well. What else do you think that our listeners need to know about everything that you guys do. I mean, I know that there's a million statistics out there and we can yeah. overwhelm them with stats and yeah. it's a huge problem in our society. But what, what would you say is like the most important thing that you want our listeners to know? You know, this, this month, like we've mentioned, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And one of the, the mottos or the, the calls is everyone knows one. Because there's this issue of it takes seven to nine events for someone to leave we all know someone that we see things happening they don't show up for work um, you know they may open up and share they're having difficulty um, you know when you see it when you hear it when you perceive that there's a problem encourage them support them um, really uh, try to get them to reach out for services and reach out for help. Don't stay seven to nine times before you get help because you may not get to that seventh or ninth time. You know, your kids, the kids in the house may not get to that seventh or ninth time. So if you have a colleague or coworker, a neighbor, another family member, extended family member that you, you just sense that there's something wrong, have a conversation with them, tell them, hey, let's, let's see what services are available let's see what can support we can get what help we can get and i'm there with you and reach out and get those services our website is icancrisisnetwork.com you can go on the website and get more information you can send a chat message uh, through our website um, that's monitored and so if you can um, familiarize yourself it may not be you but it's someone that you know so familiar yourself with the services that are available and the way to access those services and be there for that coworker or that extended family member that or that neighbor that that may need the services and need help yeah i think that that's so important and i think kind of to wrap this all up the the one overall thing that i want to say and it it kind of ran throughout our entire conversation is that we need to normalize this. Yeah. It is out there. It's in our society. We've talked about it kind of being a stigma. We're doing a lot better, but it's something that we need to make sure that we're talking about. And so that if there is an issue, people don't be, aren't afraid to, to speak up. And I think it's really cool that, um, as you mentioned in the beginning, USAO was involved in yeah, it, right? Absolutely. Like as college students making it normal in their society to have that conversation, I think you guys are doing it right. So great job on that. Absolutely. And we're actually going to be next week at USAO campus, um, and have a resource table. And, and, you know, that's something that's important to us is to, we just met a couple weeks ago with the Chickasha, um, school district, uh, leadership, um, and, um, you know, so other school districts um, reaching out to them in the county and trying to get information to help inform the kids at, a, at an early age 
of what signs to look for, what things to do, and then it's not acceptable. You're doing a great job, Matt. We're so glad that you're here in our community. Welcome to Chickasha again. Absolutely. Um, and thank you for being here with us today. Thank you very much. Y'all, I love these podcasts. I love the information that we learn from the organizations right here in our community. But today was very special. And I hope that you learned information from this podcast that you can take back and share with your friends and family. As Matt mentioned, this is something that has been a stigma in our society, but Grady County is normalizing it and normalizing the help that victims need. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as I did. We would like to thank Hillary Communication and First National Bank again for being our sponsors. And thank you to ICANN for coming and chatting with us today. And as a reminder, we'll be back on the third Tuesday of next month, and we hope that you will join us.